0: Hello and welcome to this week's European Conversations podcast brought to you by the European Movement in Scotland and the Scottish Centre on European Relations. I'm Kirsty Hughes and this week I'm in conversation with Terry Reintke who is a Green Member of European Parliament. She comes from Gelsenkirchen in Germany and as she puts it, she's a very big lover of the UK and of Scotland. Terry, many thanks for joining me today. It's great to have you on our European Conversations Podcast there's an awful lot going on in Europe uh, and in the world at the moment. are you are you an optimist about the European Union? How, how do you
1: see broadly the current
0: challenges and opportunities?
1: Well, I see that we are standing in front of um, very challenging tasks, that's for sure. But uh, I'm an optimist in the sense that I think that in the past, you know, a lot of difficulty uh, for the European Union has also been an inspiration to actually grow and do things better. And yes, I think right now with the threats to democracy, but also the issues relating to climate change, social injustice that we see now exacerbated in the global pandemic. And we have a lot on our plate, um, but I hope that uh, together we can uh, overcome all these challenges and create a better society and a better world for everyone.
0: It's a lot, isn't it? Even in that brief answer you've mentioned so many things you know democracy and social injustice climate covid and, and we've got to tackle all of that and more we've we've got an EU summit coming up in a couple of days on Thursday and Friday this week and, and at the moment as you know there's there's a big argument going on as with Poland and Hungary mm-hmm. a, a simple rule of law mechanism as part of the budget and the covid recovery fund what what do you think the EU should be doing here? Should it stay tough? Can it find a way through?
1: Well, I think, first of all, the fact that we got into this situation uh, is mainly due to the fact that we have tried to, or some political forces inside of the EU, especially the conservatives, have tried to deny the problems that we have with governments, like, for example, in Hungary or Poland, that are very openly attacking Uh, EU values like rule of law and fundamental rights and um, now that we are in this situation it's also a little bit the result of years of silence and non-action so I think right now it really has to be the moment where everybody realizes that with this blackmail the Hungarian and Polish government and i really trying to push through their lines um, on rule of law well, in the attack of rule of law and fundamental rights, and that we have to stay strong as Europeans if we want to defend what this European pro- uh, project is based on, and that certainly is democracy and freedom. And this is why I hope very much that there is going to be a strong stance uh, from the side of the other member states uh, of the European Union.
0: And do you think if, if that happens, firstly, there's a strong stance, but secondly, There's actually a a deal rather than some of the things we've seen discussed in recent days of of maybe the COVID recovery fund would go ahead without Poland and Hungary. If you get a a good deal respecting the the rule of law, but that brings them on board, would that be? I mean, it's still only about rule of law as as applies to finance, isn't it? But do you think that would be quite a big step forward, given, as you say, the, the failure to properly tackle this in the last several years?
1: Well I was one of the people negotiating this rule of law conditionality and what we have there now it's really the bare minimum of what we would need um, to safeguard the financial interest uh, of the European Union Um, and it's one of the instruments that hopefully we can use to better defend rule of law in the future so um, I think it's important to keep this. Um, But I also see, uh, I mean Poland and Hungary have said that they are going to veto, now we already see that in the Polish government there is very strong disagreement about it, because in the end I think both governments know that if they're really going to veto and the recovery plan would go ahead without them, The people who would suffer from this the most are their own citizens. So um, I still hope that they are going to um, get back to a rational view on the situation and they're going to give up their veto um, and then we can go ahead with the MFF and the the recovery plan as was uh, initially foreseen.
0: It's, it's a very big moment, isn't it? But, but as you say, I mean, what, whatever happens, apart from I think we agree, you know, we want the, the other EU 25 member states to stick to their principles and to what you've helped to negotiate. But it, it's very important that the EU gets on with the COVID recovery fund. And on that, you're obviously, given you're in, in the Green Party and group at the European Parliament, very concerned on climate change and the climate emergency Is the Covid recovery fund, is it green enough?
1: Well, we could, we would always like to see it to be greener, um, and this is not because we are, you know, some greens who who dream about um, um, crazy things, but it's because if we actually want to meet the requirements that all EU member states have agreed on in the Paris Agreement, um, we actually need to do much more. And this is also going to be the second biggest topic uh, on the summit. Um, as you know, the European Parliament uh, uh, agreed recently to have a 60% reduction of CO2 emissions uh, by uh, 2030. If we want to reach that goal we need to see massive investment in climate friendly um, industry in renewable energies but also into changing the way how we move around, public transport um, and a lot of other things. And so I would say what we have now with the recovery plan is going into the right direction. It's certainly not exactly what the Greens wanted, um, but it will be a massive push for becoming more climate friendly and actually abiding by what we have agreed in the Paris Agreement.
0: Covid has knocked all sorts of plans off the the path they were on and and has created a major economic as well as health crisis, and it's led to a delay of the global climate summit COP26, which, as you know, will now be next November. But would you feel in a sense that everything is now coming together, perhaps to allow a bigger step forward because you've got the recovery fund? You know, it's maybe just as well that the UK isn't hosting COP26 at the time. It's also in these tortuous end of Brexit negotiations. And it will give the European Green Deal a chance to sort of find its feet again.
1: Well, you know, I always think it sounds a little bit cynical to a lot of people who are suffering right now from this horrible situation we have with COVID to say um, that, yes, it has also maybe made things possible and it is a chance. So I'm not going to say it, but what I can say is that um, I believe that um, the movement uh, over the past month, you know, with the French-German proposal on this recovery plan, it will be the first time in European history um, that we really put our efforts together um, and get finance together together. Uh, to create bounds together and I think that this, in terms of European integration and realizing how closely we we can and we have to work together to build uh, a future, to fight against climate change, to fight against this horrible virus, um, I think it has been a really historic moment and if we get this across the line, which I still very strongly hope for before the end of the year, um, with the EU budget and the recovery plan, it will be a massive step in the right direction.
0: And then, as you say, you've called for a 60% emissions cut by 2030. It looks like the European Council might come up with 55%. It's at least going in the right direction. Do you think, given where we are, I mean, we're talking as the Brexit talks are probably finally in their last hours, but is it it going to be straightforward to work with the UK, who's the co-host of the COP26 next year, despite the fact that inevitably the EU and UK are much less close now. They're not even in the room all the time like we used to be.
1: Well, obviously, Brexit makes close cooperation much more difficult. And even if there is a deal and, you know, even if we have the the strongest alignment that you can think of, it's not going to be the same, like really having and um, the UK sitting in every meeting around every table being present in the European Parliament. I'm not going to deny that, but I still hope and I think that the UK has a lot of potential there to be a major player, to fight for more climate friendly policies. Very often when you look around the world um who can actually be a champion, a leader, in a fossil free age, um, I think that it's really up to Europe to be more innovative and to be more progressive um, than we have been in the past. And I hope that with the UK, we are going to have a a strong European partner on our side there.
0: And as we're talking, we don't know for sure if there's going to be a Brexit deal or no deal. When I talk to different people across the, the EU, on, on the one hand, they can say, not surprisingly, some very sharp things about the damage the UK has done to relationships with the EU and member states about the damage it's done to its own reputation and image and trustworthiness. And then on the other hand, people often say, nonetheless, they want to build a stronger relationship in future if the UK is willing, do you see it in that that sort of dual way? There's there's a lot of negatives, but nonetheless, there's a hope for something more positive in the future.
1: Well, you see, every time I go to Germany or any other EU member states, I can see that people are very clearly differentiating between the role that the UK government has played and the UK as a whole. So um, the British society and the people living in the UK. And I think that people really differentiate and said that a lot of you know, tonality, rhetoric that we could see from coming from the UK government over the past month has been very detrimental to building trust, to building strong relationships. But they still see that there are millions of people in the UK who want to have close relationships. And I think this is really um, the maybe the, the, the response or the answer that people are giving to these uh, millions of UK citizens that say um, we want to stay um, in close touch with with our European neighbours because we believe in the power of cooperation Um, and as I said if I I travel around in the rest of the EU um, people are very aware of that and they really want uh, this close cooperation to continue.
0: I think that's right. Governments come and go. Probably the UK one won't go for a a while, but we have to think about the public and and build what we can now as as well as for the future. In in that context, you've got German federal elections coming up next year, and it's going to be a big end of the Angela Merkel era. Do you expect, depending on the results, of course, that Germany's European policies and strategy has been so important Do you think that will carry on fairly consistently? Should we be looking out for
1: changes? Well, that will certainly depend on the question of who is going to be in the next German government. Um, And I mean, I'm not going to tell you a secret uh, when I say that uh, as Greens, we really hope that um, we are going to be in government, that this is going to be a progressive and pro-European government. And I mean, if you look at... Um, what we uh, as a party and as a political force stand for, um, we are certainly going to push um, for a strong European Union, for strong ties with our European friends. Um, And I think that this is also something that the European Union needs a little bit, because in the past we have seen sometimes the attitude coming very much from Berlin that was more about maybe administering what is happening on the European level. We could see this again now with the discussion on rule of law, there has not really been a forward going defense of the rule of law coming from Berlin as much as we we had hoped for. Um, So I hope that we will have uh, a German government from uh, the end of next year onwards um, that is going to very strongly defend uh, European values and that is going to be a push for the European project and obviously also a push for uh, the fight against climate change.
0: And at the moment, there's still quite a lot of discussion going on before the launch of the, the so-called Future of Europe conference. Do you think that's got a potentially important role to play in in where Europe goes next, or, or does it risk being one more European talking shop?
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you know, uh, I, this weekend I had a, a conversation with my girlfriend, she's French, about um, the future of Europe and the different uh, roles that France and Germany have played. And we talked about Valérie uh, uh, Giscard d'Estaing, who uh, recently died. And actually, I, I, to be honest, I knew very little about his life. And then we talked about it. And I think um, when we looked at the situation that we have right now, um, Uh, I very much hope that um, this Future of Europe conference can give a new push, because obviously, and this is something that when I was talking to Brexiteers also uh, in in the past uh, years, I always said, you know, there are a lot of things about the European Union that are far from perfect. I'm never going to deny that. There are a lot of issues that we still have to somehow find ways to deal with better. But this project has developed so much over the past decades. um, And we are now the ones who have to continue to build it, so I hope that this is going to be the message that we get uh, from this future of europe conference and as you know i have always pushed to also still have uh, uk citizens somehow involved in this conference because i think the debate that uh, there has been around the eu in the uk over the past years uh, since the brexit referendum it has been um, i mean it has been very controversial and heated up but i think also a lot of people have build a completely new understanding of what the European Union is. And I think their voices should be heard uh, in this Future of Europe conference as well.
0: I think, of course, that that would be great. We're now a neighbor of the European Union rather than in it. But I think if the EU's neighbors can contribute to the discussion, that that would be great. I don't think I ever met Giscard Dismant personally but i certainly followed the the european convention so-called which was about 15, 17 18 years ago which she chaired and was an extraordinary bringing together of mps meps government reps and and i remember as, as a think tank person being allowed to put my two minutes worth in at some point when civil society was being consulted so i i hope that if that can be achieved and your goals can be achieved that would be great could, could i just conclude with a couple more questions about you the uk and, and scotland some people here, as you, as you say, the remain voters in the UK actually from opinion polls seem to be in a, in a majority at the moment. You know, those who regret the decision to leave outnumber those who think it was the right decision. Do you think if Britain changed its mind and changed its government, we could rejoin at some point? Or, or is that quite a long way off now, given, given how difficult the last four and a half years have been?
1: Well, you see the last speech I gave in the European Parliament before Brexit happened, I actually said that I'm well, back then I was 32, now I'm 33, I'm in the beginning of my 30s now, and I believe that at some point I'm going to see MEPs from the UK being re-elected to this chamber. And I still strongly believe in it. Uh, and I think there would be a positive feeling um, uh, f- still, even though there has been you know, so many broken glass over the past years um, from most of the EU um, towards re- uh, rejoining of, of the UK. Um, but I also think that we have to be realistic in the sense that um, changing the tide in such a polarized and divisive climate that there is in the UK right now, undoubtedly, um, is going to be difficult. Um, so for me, this is not something that is probably going to happen in the course of the next two, three years. Um, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a long distance runner, so I'm also ready for running this as a marathon. Um, and then hopefully at some point we are going to have colleagues from the UK back in the uh, Chamber of the European Parliament.
0: It's certainly, I, I, I think you're right. It's longer run marathon, not not a sprint, isn't it? But. but... <laughs> I don't. And of course, you know, you're, you've been a good friend of Scotland, you studied in Scotland, and, and you know that whenever you talk to someone about Scotland and Europe, in the end, they usually talk to you about the Scottish independence debate and, and whether an independent Scotland could rejoin the European Union itself if if it made that choice for independence.
1: Well, you know, when Article 50 was triggered, I um, sent a a, a letter with uh, 50 colleagues from all across the European Union, regional, national and obviously the European Parliament to the Scottish Parliament saying that um, if Scotland was to decide to become independent, which is not for us to take a position in, uh, this is really for the people in Scotland to decide, but if this happened, um, we would obviously warmly welcome Scotland back uh, inside of the European Union. We have very clearly noted that two-thirds of the people in Scotland voted to remain in the European Union, and every time I've been in Scotland since, and when I speak to Scottish people, a lot of people really feel that they're being dragged out of the EU against their will. And so I think that there would be a very positive um, feeling and climate towards Scotland um, coming back to the European Union.
0: It's certainly it's going to be an interesting time, isn't it? Whether Scotland and the UK or the European Council or the next COP26. I think now we must leave it. But thank you very much for giving me your time today, Terry Ranker.
1: My pleasure. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's European Conversations podcast. I'm Kirsty Hughes, and I was in conversation with Terry Reintke.